So without the choir here, we are set to get out a lot earlier than normal. So y'all hold me to that, okay? If I see somebody do anyway, uh, some of you got some new grills for Father's Day, and so you want to try those out this, this afternoon. No, I'm just kidding. There's something special about a name, isn't there? There's something powerful about a name. Proverbs 22.1 tells us that a good name is to be chosen over great riches. That's, a, that's if you have option A and option B, and over here is a good name or integrity or well thought of by others, and great riches that the majority of people ought to choose the good name. While in recent years, we've probably made too much of the family name, and um, by that I mean we've, we've sometimes added shame to our kids if they didn't measure up to the family name or to our perceived standards of the family names. Um, another way we've, we've kind of perverted that is we have, we have this like ridiculous desire to have men and males in our family who can carry on the family name. I don't know that that's particularly healthy, but there is still a lot of uh, value in understanding the worth of your name. I know many of you, like us, you have chosen your children's names as ones that they can grow into and not merely what just sounded good uh, or was the most popular of the year that they were born, although that some of you did, and that's totally fine. Names which had meanings or called them to live in a particular way. That's one of the things that we uh, sought for whenever we were going to name our daughters. Others, um, like the parents of a woman named Autumn Brown, not the Autumn Brown in our church, uh, they took it to a whole other level, though, uh, to an unhealthy level. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with her first and last name. It's, it beautifully fits together, Autumn Brown. The problem comes with her middle name, or really Autumn's 25 middle names. You heard that correctly. Her parents blessed her with 25 middle names, all names of famous fighters. Why would you do this to a girl? Um, This is her full name. I practiced it this week. I don't think I'll get it right, but her name is Autumn Sullivan Corbett Fitzsimmons Jeffries Hart Burns Johnson Willard Dempsey Tunney Schmeling Sharkey Carnera Bear Braddock Lewis Charles Walcott Marciano Patterson Johansson Liston Clay Fraser Foreman Brown. Can you imagine marrying that girl? (laughs) That's pretty rough, but somehow not as horrible as a guy by the name of Simon Smith. You say, what's wrong with Simon Smith? He looks pretty normal on the screen there. That name is fairly normal. Well, in 2016, Simon legally changed his name to Bacon Double Cheeseburger. You've got to wonder about the UK court that allows something like that. When interviewed about his decision, Smith, or I mean Cheeseburger, said that he has no regrets at all. Everyone loves bacon, don't they, is what he said. And I think his new fiance probably was not thrilled at that. Can you imagine the wedding vows? Do you take bacon double cheeseburger to be your husband? Yes, I do. (laughs) Can you imagine? As petty and silly as our society has made it out to be, your name and your family name has a great value. I believe it was the late great pastor Adrian Rogers who I first heard it from, but I've heard it often from several other sources. Rogers made it a fairly common practice in his household that whenever he was dropping his children off at school in the mornings, 
He would turn around while he was sitting in the driver's chair and he'd say, I love you. Remember who you are and whose you are. Remember who you are and whose you are. The admonition and encouragement was clear. Walk worthy both of your family name and the name of Christ whose you wear as a Christian. I believe that sentiment is probably what gets us very close to this line in the Lord's Prayer, which we're going to be looking at today. It's the first real petition in the prayer. It's a cry of, hallowed be thy name. What does that phrase mean? And probably more importantly than what does it mean, what are the implications of a phrase or of a plea like this. Hallowed be your name. We have to look at this phrase for two reasons. I think we need to take an entire sermon, an entire service, and and think about this because it has great implications to our life and to our prayer life. What does the word mean? And then what does the phrase mean? What does the word hallowed mean? But before we even get there, let's, let's think about name first. You have a name. Everyone in here does. I don't believe that there is a specific name of God in mind here when Jesus says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Lord has many names in Scripture. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago in passing. A few years ago, I preached 13 weeks preaching through the names of God that he reveals in his word. And that doesn't even scratch the surface. There's a guy, there's a guy by the name of Herbert Lockyer who, who years ago, he wrote an encyclopedia-type book of the, with hundreds of pages of all the names and titles of God in the Lord's Word. He has hundreds of names and many more titles attached to it. I believe that name here in Matthew 6, 9, hallowed be thy name, it signifies all of who God is, and not just a specific name or title of God. We're going to come back to that in a second, because the most difficult phrase, I think you'll agree with me, or the most difficult word in this phrase, is the word hallowed. What does hallowed mean? Really, the only time that we even use a derivative of this word in America is around October, Uh, around Halloween time, but uh, that is literally no help as to what Halloween and hallowed mean, although they share a similar etymology. But it gives us, uh, it it stumps us even some of the smartest people on our televisions. I I was thrilled that some of you were thinking about this passage of Scripture this week, knowing that we were coming up to you because, coming up to it, because a handful of you sent me the link of one of this week's Jeopardy's matches. I don't watch Jeopardy uh, normally, but you sent me the link, so I watched it. Uh, It mentioned this text. I was a little blown away that none of the three contestants got the question correct. I believe it was Tuesday. Uh, The question or the answer, however you want to say it in Jeopardy, I don't speak Jeopardy. I would fail just because I'd forget to say what is or who is. But they were supposed to fill in the blank. Our Father who art in heaven, blank be thy name. And three people who are vastly smarter than me, none of them got it. Had no idea. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Well, that's disappointing on the front, which shows that our culture is rapidly losing any and all biblical knowledge. But it's also telling because I don't know that many of us could really give a good, comprehensive answer as to what the word hallowed 
means. We may be able to fill in the blank for the Lord's Prayer, but it might be a little bit more difficult to actually describe what the word hallowed means. It's just not one that we use on the regular. Even some of our most modern versions of Scripture struggle with the wording of this phrase, how to translate it, like the NIV, which is one of the most popular, but probably the looser of of translations in, in our laps today. It keeps the word hallowed because the NIV translator said they could not think of another better word. They need you to investigate and need you to study it out because hallowed is just hallowed. It's only the most modern NET and CSB versions which swap out hallowed for a little more understandable of a word, honored. May your name be honored. And I'm probably not the guy to, to throw stones at brilliant individuals who do Bible translations, but I think that's probably a weaker translation of this word. It goes a little bit more than just honoring a certain name. Probably the best definition of hallowed is to make holy. Make your name holy, Father. But that brings us a whole bunch of other questions into the mix that I mentioned earlier. What does this mean? Think about it in our context here. This is the first real request of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, is, is more than addressed, but if you strip it all down, it's mainly the introduction of the prayer. Hallowed be your name is the first plea in the prayer. Now, what are we asking here? Or what are we praying for? Is this Father you make your name holy. Or, Father, help me to make your name holy. And why is this even a prayer to be prayed? Is God's name not already holy? Why should I pray, God, make your name holy? Certainly the holiness of God is not dependent upon his people praying it to be so. His holiness is not dependent upon me. If we stopped praying, your name be made holy, would there be any effect? Would would God cease to be as holy? There's a ton more questions than time that we have here this morning, but let me just take it holistically for a few minutes. This phrase is the heart cry of God's people for His name to be set apart and lifted up. That's what's meant when we say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We are praying, Lord, set your name above and lift it up. This is more than a prayer request. This is a a prayerful, worshipful plea for God to do whatever He deems fit in order to bring about more glory to Himself. Now hold on to that definition there, that hallowed means set apart and lifted up, because we're going to come back to that often as we go through this this prayer. As, As we think of how we ought to pray, God, do this, don't do that, change this, I want that, there is nothing more defeating in our prayer life than just praying in a laundry list kind of way. Do this, don't do that. But here in the text, we begin to pray that the name of God be hallowed through our request. It changes everything. Have you ever felt like you just have a list, a prayer list, and Lord, do this and this and this and this and bless that person and help this missionary and do this and this and this and this. And then it's like, Lord, why am I reading this to you? You can read, you know, you just pray this. And it's like, what are we doing? 
when we understand the rest of our prayer life through, Lord, you set your name apart and you lift your name up through these people and these situations, through these illnesses and these ailments and and these missionaries. Lord, hallow your name. It changes how we pray. At the very heart of this plea for the Father's name to be hallowed is a call for it to be protected. Guarded might be a better word. To protect God's name, to guard it. Very likely, this is where most of us go when we think, of it, when we think in terms of the names of God. We go to the Ten Commandments, don't we? Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, it's the third commandment which God writes on tablets of stone. He says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. When we're praying, Lord, hallowed be your name, we are reminded of how we need to protect the name of God and keep it holy. That third commandment, it's been so watered down in our society and we still can't even live up to the watered down version. We see it only as don't use the, the word God in a derogatory or flippant way. And surely that is a part of it. We ought to get that out of our language. We ought not use his name in vain. Certain phrases and curse words which defame or belittle the name of God and his titles, they have worked their way into even Christians' lives. And that vernacular never ceases to amaze me how we can so flippantly use the name of God off the cuff like that. Not only do we prove our ignorance, but we reveal our heart when we use or invoke his name in expletives like that. But hear me, this third command goes a lot deeper than that. Taking the Lord's name in vain is a whole lot more than what you say when you get a jump scare or when you're angry. That's not exactly what this third commandment says. I agree with C.S. Lewis and his meditation on the third commandment in which he lays out a powerful argument that we take God's name in vain when we invoke His name in order to get what we want. Let's hang on here. Sometimes we good Christians can say, well, I don't take God's name in vain. I don't say those words. I don't use those phrases. Hmm, do we? You see this particularly played out in politics and business where people morph their religious affiliations in order to win more votes or to gain more business. They use God's name in an empty way to garner more favor or get what they want, and we too often fall for their ruse. We vote them into office. We purchase their goods, thinking that we are supporting another brother who actually has not one seed of spiritual fruit in his or her life. They're taking the name of God in vain. I heard one preacher say that every politician is a Christian every four years around election time. Read Leviticus. God is intensely protective of his name, particularly in the Old Testament. 
Why has God not responded similarly today when every single show, every single politician, every single business is building itself as being a good Christian company, as being a a good Christian candidate, and they have not one ounce or iota of, of spiritual fruit? Why is God not coming down on them as he did Phineas and those who offered up strange fire and and took God's name in vain and did things spiritually to get the benefit here on earth. Why does God not come down so hard on them? Well, I believe that this world is building up a a debt against Him which will one day be repaid. There was an old preacher by the name of R.G. Lee. If you've never heard Lee preach, you can actually watch him on YouTube. I'm so thankful that some of his sermons have been left to us today. His famous sermon was Payday Sunday. That's what we're living under now. That's coming to those who take God's name in vain. So when a Christian cries out, Father, hallowed be your name, she is pleading for the name of God to be protected against those who would take it and abuse it for their own purposes. It'd be good for us to take a page out of some of the ancients' views on this. Undoubtedly, you've probably seen in writing that some people of another generation or another tradition, they wouldn't even write the name of God. Have you seen this before? They would choose rather, instead of writing G-O-D, God, they would write G-D. Some of you grew up in situations like that. That's a leftover from the common Jewish practice of leaving out certain letters of God's name, of His actual name, that He revealed to the Israelites in the Old Testament to make sure that His actual name was not ever taken in vain. We pronounce the transliterated name of God as Yahweh or Jehovah, depending on a few things, but really, that's only an educated guess. We don't know what the name actually is because the ancients would write the the name of God as YHWH. They didn't want to even come close to taking God's name in vain. And so they wouldn't even spell it out exactly as God had related to them. In fact, in one of the Jewish resources that I used this week in my study, there was an introduction line to the webpage which read, please note, this page contains the name of God. If you print it out, please treat it with appropriate respect. Wow. We don't even come close to that, do we? We use the name whenever we hit our thumb with a hammer. Whenever we get scared. This page contains the name of God. If you print it out, please treat it with appropriate respect. Oh, that the people of God would treat His name with such protection. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Protect this name. But on the other hand, I have always deeply felt the irony that God told us His name to use His name But for fear of misusing it, we have pretty much buried his name in a code like YHWH or spoken of him merely as a reference. Integral to hallowing God's name is a plea for God's name to be proclaimed. So when we pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, we are saying, Lord, protect your name. 
Much like Moses who stood as a mediator between God and the children of Israel and he said, don't throw them away because others will will ridicule you and, and they will trash your name. God, protect your name. But here now also there is inherent to the text that we want to proclaim the name of God. You see, God's name was never supposed to be kept under wraps or hidden. The name of God is most hallowed when people from every nation, every tribe, every people group, and every language knows his name and speaks his name intimately. So when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we are saying popularize your name or proclaim your name. Make your name famous to all the nations. You know, Numbers are all over the place. Statistics are when you try to pin it down about how many in our world have never heard the name of Jesus. But in my study this week, even some of the most conservative reports put it that there are over a billion souls who have never come in contact with the Gospel. One billion souls who've never come in contact with the Gospel. I recently came across this graph which shook me. It reads, if you can't really get into the the minute details of the graph, that only 1% of the average American church's annual budget goes to foreign, unreached missions. Only 1% of the average church in the West Only 1% of our budget goes to reaching unreached people groups with the name of Jesus. And here's the thing, I don't know what the proper percentage ought to be, but my gut tells me that when we pray, Father, hallowed be your name, we are praying that it be lifted up among the nations and barely 1% probably doesn't cut it. At its core, Hallowing God's name is a call to evangelism that all may hear His name. But the danger is that we make it all about ourselves. Instead of hallowing and popularizing and proclaiming and faming His name, we make our name famous. I pray something along the lines of this regularly in our church service where I pray, Lord, help us to make your name famous. Now that's obviously modernized, but it is merely an echo of the 115th Psalm. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn there with me. It'll be on the screen, but it would be good for you to see it there in your Bible. Psalm 115. For the psalmist and all the people of God proclaim, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? 
But our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them." Not unto us, O Lord, but to Your name. Give glory. There's an ancient Latin hymn. I wasn't about to try to make you sing it this morning because we would be singing in Latin. It survived for centuries from Psalm 115, from this text. Tradition tells us that the hymn Non Nobis Domine was sung by the British soldiers following victories during the Crusades. Now, I know that that time was fraught with issues, and I would never even come close to encouraging us to taking up the sword and the way in which they did in in those earlier centuries. But if that's true, it reveals something about these warriors and the heart behind their fighting, that as they would leave the battlefield literally spilling blood and guts, that they would sing Not unto us, O Lord. Not unto us, O Lord. But to Your name. But to Your name. Be all the glory given. What if we took the same sentiment of every victory fought, every victory won, and we would turn it around and we would say, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name be glory and praise. We ought to pray that in every aspect of our lives, every promotion, every raise, every good job, every win, not unto us, but to you, Lord, be glory. I mean, isn't that exactly what John the Baptist prayed or what he taught his disciples when they ran to him worried one day. You remember? They come to John and they say that Jesus is getting a bigger crowd than you. And then John kind of steps back, smile on his face and says, yep, he must increase and I must decrease. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name be all the glory given. This this call, hallowed be thy name, it's an outward plea of God to take the credit. For God's purposes to go forth even at the expense of my own. Saying, our Father, hallowed be your name, means that above all else, his name is at the heart of everything that I have prayed. Honestly, Hallowed be your name is what will make the difference in your prayer life. It's going to turn your time in prayer from laborious listing of all you want to making calculated hits against the enemy for the kingdom of God. Here's what I mean. A few years ago, a gentleman in our church almost passingly told me that there were two words that turned his prayer life upside down. You want to know what those two words are? 
so that. Instead of just praying, Lord, bless this food, Lord, help the sick, Lord, be with our missionaries, etc., he now finishes nearly every sentence in his prayers with, so that. Lord, help the sick so that everyone in that family will see that you are the great physician. See what I mean? So that is one of the most important phrases that you can pray in your prayers. But what if we did a similar thing with your name be hallowed? I submit to you that the very reason that this four-word phrase comes at the very front end of the Lord's Prayer is for this very reason. Look at the Lord's Prayer in light of this plea. From this sparks all of the other cries out to God. Your kingdom come so that your name will be hallowed. Lord, there are people who live under the bondage of Satan and self. Bring your kingdom to them so that they will make your name holy and famous and that their families will be changed. Your will be done so that your name will be hallowed. Obviously, Lord, I, I know what I want to happen in this particular situation. I want healing. I want the promotion. I need the help. But above everything, I want your will to be done because you and your name will get all of the credit that it deserves. Give us this day our daily bread so that your name will be hallowed. Father, provide me with enough food and drink and resources to continue my praise to your name in my home, on the job, and among my friends. Forgive us our debts so that your name will be hallowed. God, Please grant me forgiveness so that all around me can see that you are a loving and a gracious God of second and third and hundreds and millions of chances. Probably the most difficult, which I've had the most questions about since we began the study three weeks ago, is this difficult one that comes up. Help us to forgive our debtors. How do I pray? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have who have debts against us or who have transgressed against us. Help us to forgive our debtors so that your name will be hallowed. Lord, there are those who have done me wrong, plain and simple. Help me to release them, forgive them from this debt and love them in such a way so that they and everyone else who knows the situation will ask me about how they can have true forgiveness. Do not lead us into temptation so that your name will be hallowed. Father, keep me so far away from sin and temptation that I can live a life looking and longing and yearning for you and nothing else. Deliver us from the evil one so that your name will be hallowed. God, this adversary, he wants to take all the credit. He wants to take the acclaim away from you. Our enemy acts as though he is the one in charge, but Lord, use me to promote your name above his. Hallowed be thy name is the preamble, the heart, and the goal of every prayer prayed, Christian. You don't have to invoke the words. You don't have to say, Lord, make your name holy every single time you pray, but it ought to be the object of your prayer. 
It's the preamble and heart and goal of every prayer. By praising Him and thanking Him, we are crediting Him and lifting His name up. By requesting His action in our lives, we are signing a declaration of dependence on Him that we are lost without Him. That's what we mean when we say, hallowed be Thy name. Protect it. Proclaim it. Pray it. But probably more than anything else, obey it. When we pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name, we are reminding ourselves that His will is to be obeyed. Similar to what I've already touched on, praying, hallowed be Your name, is submitting His will, submitting to His will above our own. This is ultimate obedience to the One whose ways are not my ways. And His thoughts are not my thoughts. I think probably the most potent and beautiful picture of this obedience in prayer has to be John 17. We call Matthew 6 the Lord's Prayer. I've told you before that it really ought to be called the model prayer. And that's because John 17 truly is the Lord's Prayer. It's the most extensive prayer recorded in all of Scripture where Jesus prays a high priestly prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let me set the stage for you. Jesus is minutes away from being confronted and arrested. His disciples, they're sleeping. They've tried to stay awake. They've tried to watch and pray as Jesus has commanded. But their bodies, they just cannot handle the emotional stress, Luke tells us. And they sleep. Jesus is alone in the Garden of Gethsemane. And He is suffering while He's praying. Some of you who have prayed in the hospital room over your children or over your spouse in a desperate situation, you know what I mean when I say that He is praying in desperation. He's suffering while He's praying. But this is such duress that I don't know that any of us will ever understand. There is literal blood, sweat, and tears pouring out of His body as he prays. The capillaries, the blood capillaries are popping and he is bleeding through his sweat glands. Great drops of blood, Luke records, as he prays. It's 26 verses long. It's a whole chapter, so we won't read it in its entirety. But what does Jesus pray? On three different occasions in the text, Jesus references God's name. The Father's name. He has, says that, he has said twice that He has revealed God's name to His disciples. And He's also said that He keeps His disciples in the name of God. Those could take three whole sermons in and of themselves. But finally, having already prayed that our Father let this cup pass from His lips, and affirming 
once and for all that this is in fact his Father's will to go to the cross. Look at what Jesus prays in John chapter 17, verse 26. He says, I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. What is Jesus praying in this final recorded prayer of his life beside that which will be spoken from the cross? Jesus is praying, hallowed be thy name in the garden of Gethsemane. He's saying, not to me, but to you, Father. All the glory and all the honor be taken. Whatever it takes, Father, whatever it takes for your name to be lifted up and set apart, whatever you want from me so that more people will hallow your name. I don't want the pain of the cross, but I want your name to be hallowed. And it's through the cross that your name will be completely and totally hallowed because I will gather under the cross a generation upon generation of people who will live in obedience in accordance to your gracious rule, Father, hallowed be your name. Praying, hallowed be thy name, might look to you like, Lord, heal me from this cancer. But if more people hallow your name through my illness, make me a missionary in the hospital. Father, let me stay near my family. But if, my, if more people will hallow your name by my leaving them to minister somewhere else, take me as far away as you need me to go. Whatever it takes, Lord, whatever it takes to hallow your name, I obey. Christian, when we say, hallowed be thy name, we are focusing on protecting his name. Don't you dare take it in vain. Don't you dare use it for your own selfish purposes. We are also praying that, Lord, we will proclaim your name. That there is a mission set in front of us. I've reminded you multiple times that the mission field is no longer in the deepest, darkest jungles of some continent hardly explored. The mission is oftentimes next door right beside the church. Proclaim your name. We pray, hallowed be your name, because it's through this phrase that we understand all the other requests. Even the bread that we break and eat. Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies so that your name can be hallowed in this family around the dinner table. And we obey it. It would be foolish and hypocritical for us to say all these flowery things and then once we are convinced of the will of God for us to turn and say, but that's too much. Because Christ in the garden and Christ on the cross prayed, whatever it takes for your name to be made famous and to be guarded and to be proclaimed and prayed among the nations. I'll go to the cross.